Hello, welcome to another episode of A Pastor and His People. I am Pastor Witt here with Pastor Dave King. Pastor Dave King. I prefer Pastor Dave King, yes. Is that, is that your preference? Uh, yeah, it's my preference. The Reverend Doctor, if you want to call me that too, you know. That's right. You can call me Dave, buddy, pal, friend. Man, many names. Brother. brother. <laughs> what a precious name that is. This is an Acts 9. Acts 9. He talks, he calls him a brother. That's, yeah. That was an important it's, it's part of your... Very you know, important part of the message. Yeah. Um... So we're in Acts 9. Anything maybe our listeners should know about Acts going into chapter 9? Yeah, so you're coming into chapter 9, big picture, right? This is the story of how the church advances in its early stages. The Holy Spirit falls the day of Pentecost. Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, kind of lays Mm -hmm. the groundwork that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we see this progression happening. Mm -hmm. We get kind of a preview, a picture of the gospel going to the ends of the earth at the end of chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he accepts Christ, he's baptized, and then he goes back to Ethiopia, right? Uh, and we presume that he's going to go back there and, you know, be um, a witness of the gospel. Some traditions say that he became the bishop of Ethiopia, right? You mm-hmm. know, I didn't throw it in the sermon just because it's tradition, right. you know. Sounds good in a sermon, I guess. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure where it came from. Um, so right here is, is going to be a key point in Acts, right? So the conversion of Saul, uh, a, an enemy of the faith, moving in, into uh, becoming part of the family. It's gonna His testimony is going to be retold in Acts 22, again in Acts 26. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, I didn't even stress it on a lot in this sermon. I was kind of focusing more on what happened to Paul rather than what God is going to use Paul for mm-hmm. as his chosen instrument to reach the Gentiles, right? So this idea that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth mm-hmm. is, you know, God's going to use Paul to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who should hate the Gentiles, right? Uh, because being a Pharisee who's so for the Jewish people, and yet God chooses him to be his chosen vessel. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really fascinating, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when you think about church history, this is probably one of the biggest moments in the history of the church. Yeah, it's, it's I was telling a group yeah. of, of, of <laughs> brothers this week, you know, we were studying it together. Like, you just don't want to mess this one up. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, like there's certain texts of scripture, you're like, okay, I just don't want to mess this one up. Yeah. Because it's such an important passage. I think also, like, you know, your average sermon's like 35, 30. Yeah. I mean, how long do you think you could have preached this? Oh, I could have easily preached it for an hour and a half. Yeah. Easily. There's so many other things. It's just like there's so much here. There's so much here. I mean, I could teach the whole doctrine of conversion right Mm -hmm. through this passage, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of alluded to it a little bit. This idea of, um, you know, how does someone come to Christ? uh, You know, is it like a Damascus Road experience? Mm -hmm. I said it was miraculous, and yet it's all of our salvation experiences are miraculous. There is a a, a wrought change by the Holy Spirit. Like you are different. You the old is gone, the new has come, and. There is transformation that happens. That that that's everybody's conversion, mm-hmm. right? Now you, it may have happened when you were five, six, seven, eight, mm-hmm. and you may not fully remember that change, but you know something different happened, and mm-hmm. your affection and your desires is different than the rest of the world. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's there's, there's so much in this passage, yeah. which which kind of leads into another question I had. You've mentioned multiple times. Um, I think we may have mentioned once on this podcast. Uh, there's a debate on certain things in Acts. Is this prescriptive or is it descriptive? Would yeah. you remind us what? What that is and why is that important? Yeah, so when you think about if something is describing, so this is describing what happened to the Apostle Paul, mm-hmm. 
rather than prescribing, this is the way it will always happen to you, mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't think this passage is trying to say that everyone who comes to faith in Christ is going to have a vision of a light shining from heaven, mm -hmm. brighter than the sun, and a voice, an audible voice, mm -hmm. right? If, if people say that, they're trying to say, no, what happened to Paul should happen to everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's not what I think Luke is saying. Luke is just describing this is what happened to Paul. But what are the dangers of, because you obviously are making that point because you have something in your mind, maybe in regards of conversion and evangelism, what happens if we mix up prescriptive and descriptive? I think you just get a whole lot of mess, right? I think most of the charismatic movement, um, a lot of it is they, they, they invert that, mm -hmm. right? They take things that they see in the Bible as prescriptive, this is the way it'll always be, mm -hmm. right? So I think they misinterpret the text, misinterpret what God is doing, and because of that, they try to apply things in ways that are unhealthy today. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that if you don't have a, you know, like what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, if you don't rightly divide the word of truth, I think that you're in a lot of trouble, mm -hmm. right? So, um, yeah, a misreading of the book, and a book of Acts has caused many denominations to, to be formed and lots of trouble. Yeah, that's good. Which is honestly, just, I just want to say this, we are not infallible in our own interpretation, mm -hmm. right? So we could be making mistakes here, so we want to make sure that we're charitable right. uh, in this. And at the same time, I think that if you study the scriptures, I do think there's clarity. I think we mm -hmm. can understand what God is doing here. Um, and I, I do think that there is things that were that are just being described. This is what happened. We shouldn't expect that to happen to everybody else. Yeah, that's good. Um, you have seven points. Yep. I'm going to combine some points together. Is that sure. okay? Yep. So your first two points were the enemy's threats and the enemy's target. What were you trying to say in there? Two things. I was saying, one, I want to remind people of who Saul was, mm -hmm. that he really did hate the church, mm -hmm. and he really was. And I think if you, the reason why I kept on drawing that out throughout the whole entire sermon is I asked this, if you're a non-Christian, explain what happened to Paul. Mm -hmm. Like you have, to, you, have to, you have to come to grips with what happened to Paul. How mm -hmm. could he go from, from a hater, a murderer, a violent opponent to the church, to someone who was actually promoting it? Mm -hmm. Something had to happen. Right? You may not agree with what, what you think happened to him, right. but you have to come up with something. Yeah. So I wanted to remind them that. Then I think this idea of the target. You know, Paul's target was the church. And Jesus says, well, it's actually me. You're actually persecuting me. Right. And I think the idea of target, like I wanted to, to, to wed Jesus and the, the church together. Why, right? why do you want to do that? Well, one, I think Jesus does. Right? Yeah. He says, like, <laughs> why are you persecuting me? Right? Right. So I think it's in the text. Uh, but I also want to think about how important life in the body is. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that sometimes, maybe I'm just hearing this a lot lately with friends um, in our circles who have said, you know, we have decided not to be part of a church fellowship we're just going to stay at home and watch a, a preacher on TV. Mm -hmm. And our own fellowship is going to be our family. Mm -hmm. And yet, I just it, that, that saddens my heart. It mm -hmm. just breaks my heart because I don't think that's what God wants. Mm. You know, I, I can't imagine if, if the Lord Jesus was sitting in front of you and you try to explain your situation to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lord, we just decided to stay at home because we think, ah, I just don't know if the Lord is going to be pleased with that. Mm -hmm. So I want to just draw that out again and again is that, God really does care about the church, and the yeah. church should be the center of our Christian life. Um, and I think that Jesus makes that point, and even how he's being describing Paul. Why are you persecuting me? I, I, me and the church are one, right? That's why I went back to John. So if I'm hearing that right, I may have a rebuttal. He's talking about the universal church, not the local church. But would you say, you know, because your, your point would be local church. Right? Sure. Sure. How, how do you, what are you thinking through with that? Well, I think that if you if you look at 
90% of the references in the New Testament are the local church, mm -hmm. not the universal church. Yeah. Um, how do you belong to something, right? You can belong, but the way that you are typically marked off is by another believer validating you into the faith. Mm -hmm. All the letters in the New Testament uh, are written to churches, right? right? Um, and everything is about being connected and being together, mm -hmm. right? Um, so how how can you belong if you don't belong, yeah. right? I've, I've had, I mean, I enjoyed you hearing you saying that in the sermon. I mean, I obviously saw it there in the text. I've also had these conversations a lot recently, and the point I usually make is, um, like saying I, I love the universal church, I belong to the universal church. I don't want to belong to the local. It's like saying I want to solve world hunger while your family's starving. Like, wouldn't you yeah. want to immediately the people right next to you? So it seems like the most logical thing about the universal church or the local church is the visible universal church. You can't be with Abraham. Yeah, <laughs> you can't be with Paul. I think it's just. If I could just be like, this is probably not charitable, so I, I know that. Do you mean to pause the podcast? No, no, no. <laughs> I do think it's a cop out, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's the here's the reality: if you're part of a local church, you're going to deal with people you don't like. Mm -hmm. You're going to be dealing with people who offend you, who are who are awkward, right? Who are going to demand things from you. They're mm -hmm. going to demand your time and your resources. And I think that when you say, "Well, I'm just going to love the universal church," it really just lessens your level of commitment. Because no one really knows what you're committed to, right? Yeah. You can just say that, but you're not your your life is not intertwined with right. anybody else. I just think it's a cop out. I'm not saying people are genuine. I right. think that they're they could be following the Lord, they could be truly followers of Christ, but I do think that they're misunderstanding what the purpose of the Christian life is. Because how can they do what Jesus says? Let your love be so um, radical, so. Um, beautiful that people want to know how are you doing this mm -hmm. you know like if you love those who love you what rewards you get mm -hmm. even the pharisees and the tax collectors do that so if you love your family big whoop yeah everybody loves their family right yeah. love someone who's not in your family love an enemy like even right. like the apostle paul like ananias going to to paul Spoiler. and lo yeah, <laughs> loving, that, yeah, loving him like man like i was reading this and i was just like thinking about ananias and just hearing putting myself in Paul's shoes mm -hmm. and just saying like, wow, all that I've done misguidedly, how mm -hmm. much pain and anguish I have caused. Mm -hmm. And then to hear someone say, brother, brother. Yeah. No, no, I, I just, I mean, it's, it's just, it, you know, we always hear those stories of people whose family were, were murdered. Like even the Leslie family, for example, here in Rock Hill, mm -hmm. like how they handled that situation was just a picture of an immense grace of God. Mm -hmm. evil had been done and they, they give grace mm -hmm. they give forgiveness they give mercy right like that's profound right. you know and that only happens by the, the spirit of God mm -hmm. uh, your next two points were the enemy's repentance and the enemy's welcome which is kind of what we were already yeah. foreshadowing here what was kind of see Saul's conversion and then the Ananias' welcome is there anything you want to bring out of that yeah I just wanted to show that Paul still had to repent Right. Mm -hmm. I do think while he was in darkness, him not eating and not drinking was a sign of his remorse, his, mm -hmm. his grief or his sin. And because Ananias referenced, Jesus told Ananias that he was praying, it seems as if he's, he's repenting. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just hearing the truth. Experience it, God, you actually have to repent. Yeah. And then this idea that you're being welcomed into a new family. Right? Yeah. You know, and I, I use the word welcome twice there because yeah. I wanted to see this distinction because Paul, uh, Saul, was welcomed by Ananias into the family as an enemy. Right. right. 
and him being welcomed into this family made him an enemy of another. Mm-hmm. Right. So his the new welcome he received was actually not from the church, but from the world mm-hmm. that said, "You deserve to die." Right. I mean, even in this passage alone, twice it says that Saul people wanted to kill him. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. seriously, this is not going well for you, brother. Right. You know. So. Yeah. Um, but we both have heard a talk, right? It's called uh, "Can Your Gospel Save a Terrorist?" Yeah. I mean, here it's about that enemy's repentance, right? That's kind of what's happening. You, you can even mention, right? Paul is a terrorist. Like he's, he's a terrorist, religious leader who's trying to murder people. And I think the welcome makes it very interesting. I think I've heard you say this before too. The list of names that Saul had going to Damascus probably had Ananias on on the list. And to hear him welcome, right? It's often we think of Saul. We kind of already foreshadowed. Oh, we already know what he is and yeah. the letters. But like this man was a terrorist. Which kind of really helps us maybe picture like how severe, how far gone Paul. Saul yeah, I mean, was. If it's like you're a Christian living in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. right? And the Taliban just takes over, and they get have a list saying, "Listen, we're going to go house to house, and mm-hmm. we're going to arrest Christians and murder them, mm-hmm. right? Put them in prison and torture them." And you're on the list, and then you hear the leading terrorist. Uh, you actually supposed to go to him, right? And welcome him into the family, right? Uh, (laughs) I've heard uh, (laughs) are you sure are you sure but that's just the radical grace of God Mm -hmm. you know and um, yeah I mean it's just just, the more and more you think about this conversion Mm -hmm. and you know nothing can stop God right nothing can stop God Mm -hmm. I mean we just have to think nothing absolutely nothing can stop God Mm -hmm. Um, you know so um, so I'm when you preach a sermon you never preach in isolation. So mm-hmm. what I choose to intake in my own brain, things I choose to meditate on my non-sermon prep time, right. will affect my sermons. So I've been reading through um, To the Golden Shore um, by Judson. And man, I just that, I'm, I can almost start weeping thinking about what God did in his life and the life, mm-hmm. of, his, life of his wife. And uh, last night, um, they, they just get to Burma. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they've been longing to get to these people for so long, people who, who hate them, um, who hate the gospel. And he, he, he gets there, and his, his, his wife gives birth to their first child, who was born dead, mm. um, because there was enough, enough medical care on the ship where yeah. they were at. Um, and just hearing the, I don't know, just, just seeing what God's people are willing to endure even that idea of what Paul says that much you will suffer for my name. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm intaking all this cause of the gospel and the gospel going to the ends of the earth and and true conversion. Mm-hmm. True conversion. There, if you are truly converted, you should be willing to give your life to give everything for the cause of the gospel. Um, so yeah, I'm just I, I I've just been blown away by the mercy and, and the kind providence of God, even when it looks dark, mm-hmm. even when things look really really bad. That God is still merciful. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, Next two points, the enemy's new message, the enemy's new welcome. What are you trying to highlight here in verses 19 through 25? So really the new message, the idea of uh, he came and talked about the Son of God, mm-hmm. right? I just thought that was really interesting that, you know, typically when I hear the word Son of God, I've always read it, he's being divine, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so like um, the centurion, surely this was the Son of God, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of climactic, a Gentile declaring who God was. But I think the way... Um, you know, I think R.C. Sproul, I mentioned my sermon, kind of helped me with this point that sonship in the New Testament is always connected to obedience. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus was teaching the Pharisees, yeah. he was saying, you don't 
follow God because right. you're not of God. You're actually of the devil. Right. You follow his desires and you do the, his works, which mm-hmm. I thought was really striking. Then the more I started thinking about it, I started thinking, okay, well, Jesus was the true son, right? Think about John. That mm-hmm. was in uh, John 8. So then John 14 through 17, Jesus kept on saying, like, I, I perfectly obeyed the Father. His obedience was a sign of his sonship. Right. And then you go on to even in Hebrews, right, when it talks about a, a good father disciplines those he loves because they're sons. They're not legitimate children because sons should obey their father. Right, just this idea of obedience. I think what it did is that it just highlighted the the divine obedience of the son, mm-hmm. and therefore he was willing to die. Um, and his sorry, not willing, just willing to die. But he was um, the sacrifice was accepted because of his obedience as a son, which I just thought was profound mm-hmm. to me. Right, I mean, I guess I never saw that connection uh, mm-hmm. as clearly. Um, so he had this new message, and of course, that new message brought a new welcome from people who didn't want to hear. So right. people who didn't like that message so received the welcome, which is from brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a new welcome from those who he just came from. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about this as Christians today, right? The way our country's going, if you stand on the ground of the Bible, you will be hated by the world, right? Like people look at you like you are crazy. How could you believe that a person has to believe? only in Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. We live in a, a polytheistic society, and how dare you say someone is wrong, you know? Or, you know, this idea of gender, which is a huge deal these days. Yeah. Or even, um, you know, marriage, man and woman. Like, by even saying that, you're looked at as, as, as a bigot. Mm-hmm. Well, because if you're going to stand with Jesus, you're going to be hated by the world. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of the last 20, 30 years of the evangelical church was trying to be welcomed by the world, right? Let's do things in such a way to show that the world is not like us. I mean, even my early Christian walk, I kept on hearing a lot of that stuff. Like, you need, we're, we're more like the world than not like the world. In one sense, we are both human, and we both have faults like the world. We wouldn't deny that. Mm-hmm. But we're actually profoundly different. The very core of who we are has changed. Mm-hmm. Right? I am not like the world because I've been born again the power of the Holy Spirit. I have new desires, new affections. Right. Um, so yeah, so I, th- I think this idea of like if, and I think we just can't avoid being hated, right? Not that we should revel in it and rejoice in it. You know, it's not fun. Right. But at the same time, we should expect it. Mm-hmm. That's good. And your last point, the enemy's new family. It's uh, verses 26 through 31. Saul takes a trip to Jerusalem and he is... Uh, brought in by Barnabas. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know how to, I, honestly, how to, I'm not sure new family is the best way to phrase that because <laughs> there's so much going on in this little right. section here. But I really do like this idea of Barnabas kind of being welcoming. And I'm just thinking about this for our own church family. Like, we don't want to be a church of cliques. Mm-hmm. You're always going to have people in your, in your church that you're closer to. But I think what Barnabas did, Barnabas just put his arm around Saul and said, hey, I trust him, so should you. Right. Mm-hmm. This is what we need in our church. We need people to put their arms around people who are new. I like this person. I trust them, mm-hmm. and bring them in, and not kind of kind of close off. Right. We just need to open ourselves up and kind of be hospitable. So, yeah. and I think that just I was trying to draw out that verse. He went in and out among them. Right. He was right. accepted as part of the family, so he went in and out. Right. Um, I think as our church has grown, um, we need to do this more and more. And I think especially like you know we just planted a church, and I think that was emotionally hard on us. You know, we sent out people that we loved and, you know, so then new people came in 
but then you you have to do what you did before. You have to welcome them in. You have to give yourself to them, and sometimes that's just hard. And again, we have to continue to do that because we're family. So. Right. That's good. Any other closing comments about Acts or conversion of Saul? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's beautiful. I mean, again, you're gonna you're gonna hear this again. Um, I didn't mention this. There's a different translation in verse five, right? It says that he he was kicking against the goads. He uses that language in Acts 22 and Acts 26, and we'll kind of do some reconciling there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's in the earliest manuscript. I think they were trying to make it make sense. Um, but all that to say is is this story of conversion is profound and should be studied. Right? Mm-hmm. It's probably the, the most important conversion in the history of the church. I would say. Especially for Gentiles. Especially for Gentiles. <laughs> and even like, you forget that even in the commissioning that Jesus tells to Ananias, he says that he's my chosen vessel um, for the Gentiles, for kings, and the children of Israel. Yeah. You know, he's not like Paul only spoke to the Gentiles, but mm-hmm. he's the one who went to the Gentiles primarily, um, and then God used someone who was a Pharisee to go after the Gentiles, which right. is profound, right? But he also went to kings, right? Mm-hmm. And he also went to the children of Israel. Usually first. Usually first. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Uh, well, would you mind praying us Yeah. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the power of your spirit that converts uh, sinners um, to become part of your family. Lord, we pray that we would always be a church that welcomes um, former enemies uh, with wide open arms into the family of faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.